name is Gunner, and I play in a local Austin band called The Big Gun Show. I created this podcast to sit down with other songwriters, musicians, and artists, and lovers of music about their top five records that have inspired their lives and musical prowess. Uh, you want to understand your musical heroes better? This is the place. Uh, today on the podcast, we have Mo Piddle. He's the owner of G-Boy Burgers here in Austin. If you haven't been there, go there. The burgers are incredible. Uh, the G-Boy Burger website states uh, that he was born in Cleveland with ties to Philadelphia and Washington. Uh, was raised in El Paso, Texas. Not the first place you'd fi- expect to find Jews, but they're there. Growing up among uh, the homeboys, he became affectionately known as El Jewboy. By trade, Mo is a copywriter, and he told me, and I quote, I love this, um, I like to be around cheeseburgers and nice people. And before we get to talking with Mo, I'd like to mention that there are no advertisements in this podcast. I have a truckload of fun doing this, but it takes me at least at least 20 hours to research, listen, record, edit, and then produce each episode. If you're willing to help, you can support via my Patreon page. It's uh, patreon.com slash my top five records. The link is going to be in the show notes. Every dollar helps, so thanks. Let's get to the conversation. But first, close your eyes. You're in Kamalaya. What five records do you have? Ladies and gentlemen, Top 5 Records Podcast. Today I have Mo Piddle with me. Mo, what's going on, buddy? Dude, there is so much stimulation in this studio. You know that? Uh, thank you. I <laughs> I'm like licking, it. Like, I've been in here for 15 minutes, and I'm, I'm just licking at everything still. And, oh, there's that. Oh, there's that. Oh, there's that. Oh, yeah. Boom. I know. Uh, I love having people over here. It's just, it just makes the podcast so much more yeah. enjoyable. Yeah, it's cool. Um, so let's talk about your records. You've got Greatest Hits, Volume 1 by the Eagles, uh, Motion Picture Soundtrack, The Blues Brothers, which I cannot wait to talk about, Real to Real, Roger Klein, The Peacemakers, 1984 by Van Halen, and Legend by Bob Marley. All right, so let me start with one tiny preface here, and I, I think I asked you this before I came on. These are the albums that if I'm stranded or I can no longer listen to music, these are the five I want with me. Okay. Now, it doesn't mean I think these are the five greatest albums of all time. I just think that given the criteria, this is what I would want. And what I did, I sat down and I was like, oh, man, am I leaving out this? Am I leaving out this? Am I leaving out this? And I know that's part of the exercise. Mm-hmm. But I did. I, I, I've i been listening to you know your previous podcasts, and it's deep, man, and there's some really interesting and 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 hard to find information coming out of this podcast i felt like i was so basic i was like oh man really i need to find this i need to find that but truth be told like i said is is there for me i think i'm kind of a multimedia thinker meaning that i wanted things to connect in multiple ways whether it's an experience i had at one point in my life or connecting for example the soundtrack you know to a visual that i could then put my head into so i really kind of gravitated to this desert island my unlimited power source that i can run a record player and my five records you know (laughs) yeah that's that's the criteria here but you can see like i went through and i wrote a list of these records i'm like i can't leave them out because that's just wrong we're not talking about those we're talking about these we're gonna take these okay so i just wanted you to know to to give my little uh that's uh, fair that's fair now i I do have a question for you and ask everybody this where are you taking these records uh hanalei bay Okay, there yeah. you go. All right. I'm going uh, to find my way down to the beach. And it, again, sounds cliche, but it's very rare that I want to go to the same place twice. Mm-hmm. I, I am a wanderer. I like to try new places, go to different places. The idea of a vacation home is weird to me <laughs> until right. I found Hanalei. 
until you go there and your blood pressure goes down and your brain uncorks and everything about it the food is not great but it works the weather is not great but it works i can't explain other than i just take it down about two notches i'm yeah. always struggling with with I, again the term uncorked comes to mind like just feel a lot of pressure i think through things you know i'm by trade i'm a copywriter um the one of the worst things that can happen to a creative person is having the same bad idea over and over and over and over again that's insane and when you're a writer you'll write the same stupid headline or you'll come up with the same concept and, and it's so frustrating so places like Hanalei just uncork and that's where i'm sitting listen all right i like it fair enough let's start off with the eagles so you picked a compilation album well, going back through them, yeah, I mean, that's... This, uh, this was the, one of the first records you, you mentioned to me when we first met. Yeah, yeah. So, it was also known as their greatest hits, 1971, 1975, and it's their first compilation album that they ever did. It was released by Asylum Records in February of 1976 and produced by Glenn Johns and Bill Smychek. It contains songs from the band's first four albums, which were released from 72 to 75. It reached number one, where it stayed there for five weeks. Uh, another little fact is in 1976, uh, RIFF started the platinum certification to recognize albums that have all been sold over uh, one million copies. And this was the first album to do so. Uh, it has since become, it's since sold like 38 times, 38 million records. So yeah. that's like 38 times the, the biggest selling record yeah. in the United States history. And it's the first time that the Eagles have ever been on this podcast. Really? Yeah. So. We tried to dig to see if it was the first greatest hits, because it wasn't a big thing until then. Greatest hits, you know, then became quite a regular occurrence. Mm -hmm. But as far as we could tell, there might have been one or a few other ones, but this was the one that made its own statement. That aside from the albums that the songs came from, this one itself has its own personality. It had its own, you know, designation as platinum. So for me, it was one of those albums that. You know, my folks weren't really into music. Uh, they're, they weren't musically talented. Um, they probably should have been hippies, but they met each other in high school and just kind of didn't do it. I mean, my, I think they graduated high school in 68? No. 64, they graduated high school, 68 college, and then 72, the year I was born, my dad graduated medical school. So they were in that era, but right. they just never, like, you never heard... Jefferson Airplane. I never heard any of these things that you might have thought would be more hippie. My dad was more Gordon Lightfoot. He was kind of a soft rock guy, I guess, at that point. But this is the first album I can recall being played over and over again. And oftentimes it was during road trips. Yeah. We forget that road trips, you know, now you got your device, you got video, you got whatever you want. Man, we put the tape in the tape player and just listened to it over and over again. And dad was in control. And again, not a musically inclined guy, couldn't play. My mom can't. Like, you know, I got this from my grandmother. She was very musically inclined. And uh, my great grandfather was a cantor. Do you know what a cantor is? I do not. So, in, con in a more Orthodox Jewish setting, there's a rabbi and then there's a cantor. The rabbi is the uh, teacher, he's the one that reads from the Torah. The cantor is the one that sings, sings back the, okay. the prayers. Most of the prayers were, were chants, mm -hmm. uh, especially in a very uh, orthodox or conservative setting. So 
there is some musical talent in my in my family. It just wasn't from my parents. Right on. But the Eagles was the one that went in, and it just had such a a flow. It went from attitude to attitude. You know, everything changed just yeah. enough that I could pace myself through that that album. Okay. Well, I do have a. Let's start off with a quiz question. You ready for this? All right, hit me. Uh, which one of the ten tracks did not reach number one? Was it A, Take It Easy, B, One of These Nights, or C, Best of My Love? Oh, it's Take It Easy. Good job, Jeff. No, you got it, you got it that time. So uh, the album was comprised of, sing- of nine singles released between 72 and 75, plus the album track, Desperado. All the singles except for Tequila Sunrise charted in the top 40. Five reached the top 10, One of These Nights, and Best of My Love both topped the charts. Take, um, take it to the limit. Was it number one? Uh, no, I thought that. I always thought that was their first number one. That's crazy. Okay, I don't know. What, I don't know which one was the first. Can't sing that song because uh, Randy Miser sings it, and he sings. Uh, is it alto? Yeah, the super high one. Yeah, can't touch it. Yeah. So, uh, what else about this album do you like here? So we'll go to the R-rated section of this, it. and then we'll come back if you don't mind, because it does mean a lot. But I found in my late teens, early 20s, when I started dating, that when you were fortunate enough to be back in a room with a woman, <laughs> this was the tape to put on, man. There was, like I said, there was a cadence to it. There's a flow to it, you know, and it it starts aggressive with Take It Easy, and that's their most recognizable hit to that point. And then it it it, it gets a little groovier, you know, with Witchy Woman and, and things of that nature. And... If I'm doing things right and I'm fortunate enough to be with a woman that's, you know, continuing uh, with the process, if you will, uh, we're not having sex till till already gone. <laughs> you know, and that's like that's the, the one where they, you know, you knew Glenn Fry wanted to be a rock star. You knew uh, Don Felder wanted to play solos. I mean, this was really like what they thought should have been their their rock anthem. And and from that point on, it, it slows down. Yeah. I mean, we can all lie, but we all know that. You know, there's, it's I, not as long as you think it's going to be. I call it the Damone pick from Fast Times. Exactly. Mine, exactly. mine is the flip side of Tattoo You. So, and especially when you're that age, right? So, it just, it, it's an hour, roughly about an hour long. And if you get to the end of that, and the girl's still there with you, I was winning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, you know, uh, it's so. I watched the documentary on yeah. the Eagles and. Um, I'm going to ask you what you think about this because I think that Don Henley and Glenn Fry came across as pricks. Well, especially Fry. They just had to control everything. Everybody knows that Henley's an egomaniac, but he kind of justifies the ego. I mean, he's been there and he's done that and his his solo work and just the way that singing drummers, it's not easy, man. Um, as a former yeah. drummer, I, I sing like three songs and it never sounds good and it's hard to play and right. it's just not... So what he did and how he did it is spectacular to me. Uh, I wasn't aware of what an asshole Fry was. This notion of band standards that's so dickhead. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, yeah. <clears throat> but um, but yeah, so for as far as I was concerned with that documentary, the first part, all about it. That second part, they can throw it away. <laughs> I don't, I don't, you know, and it's funny because I went. Uh, I was super excited. I mean, my age... We didn't think the Eagles were getting back together. I mean, it was a done deal, right? So in 94, when this comes around, I am in college working for a radio station here in town, Oldies 103. So I managed to score some tickets. They were $100 tickets. Yeah. 
I I don't know if you can credit them with being the first to really inflate these ticket prices, but they're one of them. They yeah. came out and said, yeah, we'll do this if we can do it for the money. This kind of reminds me of the police when they got back together in their tour. You could tell they didn't like each other. Yeah. In 94, I don't think they liked each other. I actually generally think they like each other better now. Maybe that has something to do with Fry being gone. I don't know. But <laughs> so, yeah, it was it was um, it was not surprising to me for, for Henley. But Fry, I thought, would have been a nicer Midwest kind of, you know, Michigan guy. And he just came off wrong, man. Yeah, uh, I hear you. All right. So because you picked a compilation album, I typically like to go through lyrics of yeah. songs and see if you can get them. All right. So first question. The following lyric is from which song on this record? Come on, baby, don't say maybe. I got to know if your sweet love's going to save me. Is it A, Desperado, B, Take It Easy, or C, Witchy Woman? Take it easy, man. Dude, you're nailing them. You're nailing them, brother. Okay. The following lyric is from which song of the record? You can spend all your time making money. You can spend all Take your Take it love. to the limit. Don't even... S- yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense either. If you go back and listen to it, I, I know. it's kind it, of a nonsense lyric. <laughs> but it's, it's a great one. It's one of my favorite yes, lyrics it have. is. Uh, the following lyric is from which song on this record? Beautiful faces and loud, empty places. Look at the way we live. Um, a, Desperado. B, Already Gone. Best of my love. C. Oh, it's Best of My Love. Oh, sorry. Yes, you got it right there. And then uh, the following lyric is from which song on this record? Remember all the things we wanted. Now all our memories were there haunted. We were always meant to do. We, we were always meant to say goodbye. A, One of These Nights. B, Already Gone. C, Witchy Woman. Say it again. Uh, remember all the things we wanted. Now all our memories, they're haunted. We were always meant to say goodbye. Witchy woman? It's already gone. Is it really? Yeah, it's like kind of place the word, place the, the name of the song, I think. Huh. Okay, the last quiz question for the Eagles. The following lyric is from which song on the record? I like the way your sparkling earrings lay against your skin uh, so peaceful, bright. easy feeling. Right. I grew up in the desert, man. There's, there's something about that one, yeah, and that comes towards the end of that album. It does. I think it's yeah. the last song. It's last. I think is it the last or the second last? But it's it's there. And at that point, you should be in a good cuddle mode. And cuddle. If you're lo- <laughs> and you look up, you know, we would go out to the desert because it wasn't dangerous back then. Put a blanket down and just lay out, and you can see the stars. You go about twenty minutes uh, west of El Paso. It's crazy. Yeah, I wouldn't do it today, but back then, yeah. Yeah, so All Music said, a couple of reviews here, All Music said the songs in the compilation are melodic, immediately engaging, and lyrically consistent. So unlike albums from which they come, these songs make up a collection of consistent and mood and identity, which may help songs explain their greatest hits. So much better than the band's previous discs, discs and practically make them redundant. No wonder it was such a big hit out of the box. Well, they're a little self-serving. Yeah. These guys, you know, they did. And, and musicians have that right, as far as I'm concerned. You just can't complain when nobody gets it. Yeah. You know, you want to do what you want to do. I'm all about that. And I had this, you know, I played in a cover band. Like, we would discuss, nobody wants to play Louie Louie. I mean, but if you're at a bar full of drunk people and they're going nuts, you play songs that make them go nuts, that yep. make them, that they know. Uh, obviously, if you're not doing covers, you're doing your own music, you have that, that right. But don't be mad when people just stare at you and go, I don't get it. Well, actually, the uh, band really never had a say-so on what was going to be on this record. Really? Yeah, so what Don Henley had said, he was unhappy that the songs like Tequila Sunrise and Desperado were lifted out of the context of the original album in a way that he thought detrimental to the nature, quality, and meaning of their music. Desperado is a bizarre one to me because it's a re-record. Yeah. The initial version of it doesn't sound like that, and then once again it was Linda Ronstadt who pulled it out. 
they liked how she did it, so they re-recorded it her way. Huh. See, now um, I didn't know that. Sky won't snow and the sun won't shine. I mean, that to me, if you've ever been out in the desert in the winter, when it's it's just like that, that's, again, another one of those lyrics where it's like, wow, man, that's I'm at a place right now. Right. Uh, Glenn, Glenn, I mean, excuse me, uh, Don went on to say, the record company was worried about their quarterly reports. They didn't give a shit whether the greatest hits album was good or not. They just wanted product. Shows what he knows. Yeah, thirty-eight times platinum, <laughs> right? Uh, but it also, they, they also said that it, was, it gave them more time to work on Hotel California, which yeah. is what I consider their peak. Yeah, it's crazy that that their greatest selling album came before with songs that weren't as commercial. I mean, Take It Easy kind of broke them. Their first release from the documentary was was Peaceful Easy Feeling, which is a great song. Uh-huh. Doesn't have that chart factor. Doesn't have it. According to the documentary, this isn't my own. I wasn't. Well, I was there. I was one. Um, Take it easy. Just has more anthemic vibes. Really keyed into the post hippie generation that we're trying to figure out why it didn't work. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this and chart topping stuff here when we talk about Van Halen. Oh yeah. But for now, let's move on to the Blues Brothers because okay. both of us. I mean, it clearly you and I are. are huge fans of this movie I yes. mean, this is like one of the classic definitely one of my top five movies hands down uh yeah, me too. belushi Aykroyd. thing is, is i couldn't find a whole lot of information about the record you know how it charted or anything like that um so i talked to you and i asked you how you know these quiz questions they're going to be about the movie and not yeah. really about the other thing uh, but before we get to those questions i want to ask you why this record for you because so, I, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out. I, I got a good feeling. Nobody else is going to pick this. It's it's a connection, man. I mean, there was just something about the multimedia nature of it, the the way it started in Saturday Night Live, and the the way that these guys. I've always loved when. So working in advertising, you tend to build in stuff for yourself when you go on a shoot. Sometimes it's something as cheesy as a free pair of sunglasses. You know, say, oh, mm-hmm. tell wardrobe they need this and. You don't cast anybody that's a 4X, but yet, strangely enough, there's a ton of 4X. But for Belushi and Aykroyd, who are really into this type of music when it wasn't popular anymore, when it had faded away, guys like James Brown were kind of in between, you know, and he hadn't come back to mainstream, and Aretha Franklin, similar type of stuff. Their personal interest in this, just go from a Saturday Night Live sketch to a movie and you know they recorded albums after this i mean they i think before too yeah i mean they were this was a, a real passion project and i love when a passion project can become a mainstream success yes because that's a for sure i don't think that was their intention maybe maybe it was i don't know the guy was so coked up who knows what he was thinking <laughs> but i mean he he clearly and then Ackroyd has the the academic knowledge I never got the impression that Belushi had the academic knowledge. He had more of that soul connection. Yeah, I would like, agree with that. He could feel it. He knew it. Aykroyd just knows so much about so much. Yeah, and when you watch him in these movies, yeah, he is. He, you know, he's into tequila, or no, vodka now. I mean, he's into all kinds of interesting things. But watching them build these characters and the the way that these artists interacted, it just was so engaging to me and so much fun. And yeah. for me... Fun becomes. I mean, you've seen me at work. I just, if yeah. I'm not having fun, who cares? I, I say when it's when stuff's being fun, quit doing it. Yeah. Stop. Yeah. Uh, well, all music had said, basically, just kind of what you just said was that Belushi and Aykroyd received a lot of flack for their Blues Brothers stick. You know, mostly the albums, but not 
uh, 80s beloved classic film, but they should be given credit for exposing many people, including this reviewer, to the music blues of R&B veterans. I feel the same way. Yeah. I wouldn't... I, you know, I knew some... Uh, there was a few songs, like... It's funny the things they don't touch on in there. Like, when we were young, we had dug into some uh, Cool in the Gang stuff, like, long before. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I wonder if, if Tarantino wasn't listening in on us, because <laughs> we thought Jungle Boogie was the coolest thing in the world. And then when you hear it in that movie, I was like, no, oh, man, that's ours. We found that yeah. one, you know? But similar type of things here. I mean, I knew knew about Wilson Pickett. I knew about um, uh, Jackie Wilson, you know, things yeah. like that. Yeah. But I didn't really have a, a good connection to it. And after watching this movie and listening to the soundtrack over and over and over again, you find yourself seeking these things out. And then in the early 90s, I got a job working for Oldies 103, Mm -hmm. and I had a whole library at my disposal. It's not like it was, you know, now you got Apple Music. You want to look for something, you find it. You search. Back then, you either had to go to a record store where, I don't know about you, but my mind would totally take a shit, and I couldn't think of anything I wanted. I'd walk through that store. I had 15 different things I wanted on my mind. Why I didn't write them down, I don't know, but I would just kind of walk through blankly. So so for for me working at the radio station, especially an oldie station, then I started pulling some of these things out after watching Have the Blues Brothers such a part of my life. So yeah. definitely opened up a different style of music. Now, when we get to Roger Klein, I'm going to tell you, I am drawn to music I think I would like to play or that I can visualize or feel playing. So... That's one of the reasons why Moving Pictures is not on my album because I can't, <laughs> can't even air drum that stuff, man. It, when it's so bad, it's so hard that you can't air drum. That's why I go, oh, I love listening to it. But so for me, being able to to visualize playing this type of stuff, right? And there isn't a song on this album that I wouldn't want to be behind the drums on. There you go. I like it. All right. Well, let's jump into some quiz questions about the movie. All right. You ready let's for see this? Yeah, doing this one. Yeah. Okay. What is the name of the beauty salon where Camille, Carrie Fisher, works? Is it A, the hairport, B, hair today, die tomorrow, or curl up and die? Curl up and die? (laughs) Quiz question two about the Blues Brothers. I actually actually had to go look for some other names of of funny salons. The the hairport. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The band... Needed new instruments. Who is the famous blind pianist and singer who oh, plays Ray the part? Ray Charles Donnie, yeah. So good. Such a good scene. Oh, man. man. It was... Shake a Tail Feather. What a yeah. great song. They, again, hadn't been thing, thing. mainstream. Like, right. It's a lot of Ray Charles that was mainstream, but this was not. I know. So. Uh, Elwood is, is not especially worried about being tracked down by the police as he used a fake address when he renewed his driver's license. What Chicago landmark did he use? Wrigley Field. I don't even need to use multiple choice with Mo here. All right, Mo. I think you're going to get this one, too. And then we're going to say it together, the quote. Um, according to Elwood, how many miles from Chicago is the Palace Hotel? Is it, it's 100, isn't it? Oh, shit. It's 106 miles to 106. Chicago. We've got a full tank of gas and a half pack of cigarettes. It's Hit dark, it. and we're wearing sunglasses. <laughs> Hit it. <laughs> I just love his response. I, I just, I know, just hit it. Um, yeah. Okay. And so, lastly, the quiz. This is, and this is one of my favorite lines from the movie. It probably gets quoted more than anything else. Um, in order to convince the band that they have to do a gig, Jake decides to impersonate the leader of a band called the Good Old Boys. He then asks the waitress at the club uh, what kind of music she's gener- they generally play at that venue. Finish this, her sentence. Oh, we got both kinds. <laughs> <laughs> 
Country and Western. No. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you got it. Can't tell you how many times <laughs> one of my friends has said, you're going to look pretty funny trying to eat corn on the cob with no fucking teeth. <laughs> They're all good, man. Yeah. Okay. Um, so now um, let's jump. Let, let's talk about Van Halen. Okay. Okay, 1984. Uh, this is their sixth studio album. Um, it was released in, guess what year? Yeah. 1984. Yeah. Uh, produced right by Ted. Right at the beginning of it, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, produced by Ted Templeton, one of their favorite producers. Um, and here comes a quick quiz, quiz question. In 1984, reach, excuse me, 1984 reached number two on the Billboard 200 album chart and remained there for five weeks. What album blocked it from becoming number one? Well, it's either Thriller what? or Sports, right? Michael Jackson's Thriller. Thriller. I was going to give you also options of Bruce Springsteen, Born in the USA, and Princess Purple Rain, but Sports was in there too. Yeah, it only it was later for like a, a week or so. Sports, uh, that was one that I, I debated as well. Really? Wow. Yeah. I mean, look again. If you were a musician, you can't look at Huey Lewis in the news and not think, this guy's. It is the simultaneously the best and the worst behind the music ever. Yeah. <laughs> so, they like each other. Nobody got sick nobody had issues like they just keep playing i mean his hearing is gone now and that's a problem but conversely and i know she lives here in town so if kathy valentine's listening i'm very sorry about this but the go-go's behind the scenes watch that one dude they're I've, dark I've seen it. have you seen, seen it yeah, yeah I've those... seen it. i'm dying to get her on the podcast i think she came into the restaurant did she but i'm not 100 percent sure it was still mass time yeah she made a big point to say Kathy with a K, and that's what made me think. Uh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Little, little, little mini crush there. Well, yeah, so. yeah. Uh, I agreed. Her, I don't know if you've read her autobiography, but it's fantastic. No, I need to. Uh, yeah, so even though Thriller was beating Van Halen out, was sitting at number two, Eddie had played a solo on Thriller. On Beat the It. Song. Uh, yeah. no, was it Beat It or beat was it, it Thriller? Okay. Yeah. It's insane. And he did it in one day. I'm, I'm sure he did it in one take. Have you ever read the book Van Halen Rising? No. Uh, it's awesome. It basically um, it covers the band up until they release their first album. And hmm. one of the cool things that I love about it is that it goes into the fact about how Eddie and Alex really didn't like Dave's vocal. Oh, they needed his PA. Yeah, exactly. Daddy <laughs> had money. <laughs> Brain surgeon. I mean, he's. you've been to my restaurant. It's on the list. He's on the Jewish Rock Hall uh, yeah, of Fame. Yeah, he is. Yeah. <laughs> it's all the cliches. Uh, just so, if you don't know... Um, Mo here owns a place called jo Jew Boy Burgers, and if you want a fantastic burger, that's where you need to go. It's here in Austin, Texas. Thank you very much. Uh, yes, so I mentioned earlier that it's called the ACDC rule. Have you ever heard of this? No. It's from a uh, podcast called Hit Parade um, by Slate, and Chris Melanfi is the guy who does it. He's like a just super chart nerd. Like he he knows why they went and yeah. why they went where on the on the chart, and. Basically, the idea is it's not the album you know best, that classic album with all the hits. You know, it's the album after that classic album that shoots the top and then shoots the bottom when they have never had a number one yet. So take ACDC, for instance. You know, they lose Bon Scott. Yeah. New lead singer. They come out with, uh, was it Back in Black? That was yeah, record. and that's, and that's on my... It's got, yeah. like, it's got like so many hits on it, and then, but they never reach number one. That's the one you, you always know, right? Van Halen's another example of this. So they nothing did. from Back in Black hit number one. Nothing. The the album itself did not hit. Number did one. not. I don't know if if, wow. a, if a single did. Um, but it ba uh, basically, like uh, there are other people that that are, that are like this. You know, like Jackson Brown, Billy Joel, Pat Benatar, Pearl Jam. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, the, the, Absolutely. Think about it. You know, it's like you get all these hits, you finally get fame, so people are going out and buying the second album. To the top and to the bottom real fast. Well, we, we always talk about that, strangely enough, with the Spin Doctors. I don't know why that band comes up, but these are guys have been together, great musicians, and that first that. album is a reflection of everything they've been working on for the past however many years. Back when bands were bands and they were meeting as friends and they were putting up you know ads for a guitarist or whatever and they worked for years on this album and then it's a success and the company record company comes back and says all right do it again yeah so what happened i think that personally for me is the reason why you have bands like sugar ray mm -hmm. uh, smash mouth you know this 90s where these guys were all playing what they wanted to play found one song that gave them a hit and the record company says give me a record with five more of those of course they do and for better, I mean, for better or worse, I guess I don't. They they made a lot of money, but then you have bands like Spin Doctors that tried to do their own thing. Mm -hmm. um, we were just talking about the '90s today, guys like Dave Matthews. I mean, that first album, stellar, epic. From that point on, all kind of sounds the same. Yeah, my friend went to the show at the Moody Center. How long did that go on for? I don't remember, but he was like, "Okay, hey, listen, I know you guys are here to hear <laughs> my my classics, but just bear with me while we sing a couple new ones." <laughs> uh. Yeah, it's that's funny. I went to Iron Maiden not too long ago. I kind of like their new stuff. I, I, I'm, I'm not an Iron Maiden. I'm not an Iron Maiden fan, uh, at least yet. I wanted to see him. I, I'm, I'm tired of missing. Like I missed. I'm not a Dead fan, but I should have gone to see him when I could have. Mm -hmm. uh, huge Ramones fan, but okay. you know I missed that. They were, they're, hell, they were playing clubs in the '90s. I could have seen them up close and heard everything and. I just always assumed there was going to be another chance. And there are certain bands, like when I heard Iron Maiden was coming here, I had never seen them. Yeah. I want to see it. I saw Journey a little while back. Uh, you know. So are you, Sammy, are, are you Sammy or Dave? What's that? Sammy or Dave? Oh, I'm Dave. Me too. Yeah. I mean, it, what's funny, though, is that. I'm Bon Scott, too. Well, Sammy, Sammy was the years that I was really into Van Halen. That's high school for me. That's. 10th 11th 12th grade you yeah. know with sammy and i i've seen him play a number of times i never saw him play with dave neither did I, I was too young I my mom wouldn't let me go i wanted to but she said <laughs> no it's too dangerous but sammy's a blast man he's he's a cool performer he has great pipes he, uh, he has one of the best rock vocals out there is out there I've, i yeah. i feel he can't write to save his life only time will tell if we stand the test of time wow I love yeah. Three Lock Box by Sammy Hager. <laughs> I thought that was that was one of my favorite albums when I was a kid. Yeah. But no, if it if we're talking about Van Halen, it's Dave. Oh, for sure. And not I, just because I he's Jewish, I know. <laughs> I hear that before, but no, no, it's who would I like to hang out with? Sammy. Who would I tequila? like to jam with? Sammy. Yeah, well the guy can play guitar yeah. too. I just but but Dave is, you know, they don't realize yes, the 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 Van Halen brothers were the musical genius behind it. But as a marketing guy, sometimes having talent isn't enough. Mm -hmm. You have to have vision. And whether he knew it or not, man, Dave had a vision. And when you go back to Diver Down, that was Dave's vision. Cover songs yep. galore. He loved being in a cover band. He liked going to parties where, you know, the chicks took their clothes off and he hooked up. And he, as far as he was concerned, that was the world to him. And it's interesting that, Diver Down, which isn't really thought of many times as one of their right. know, albums. So many covers on it, but got little guitars on there, which to me may uh -huh. be the best Van Halen song ever. Big Bad Billy, sweet William. <laughs> they always put something like that on there, don't they? <laughs> so good. But then, you know, 1984 comes along, there's no covers on it. 
Mm-mm. I don't think so. Anyways, you're going to get me on this uh, I don't on think. this quiz because I haven't listened to the whole album in a long, long time. No, it won't. They're they're not going to be that hard to move forward. All right. Um, I will I will ask you a couple quiz questions though. What single off this album was the only one to reach number one? Was it A Jump, E B Hopper Teacher, or C Panama? I'm going to go with Panama. Wrong. It was Jump. Was it? Yeah. And that was the first one released. Yes, I believe yeah. so. But the funny thing is, is that this is their first number one. I think I think it's their only number one, ever. Yeah. Okay. I believe that. So. And it's synthesizer based, which pissed everybody off. Pissed a lot of people off, but they still made it happen. I was and cool. they went number one with that, right? Okay, what song off this album contains the lyric? You've got to roll with the punches and get to what's real. Jump, hot for teacher, oh, or Panama? Jump, yeah. Sing that one. <laughs> roll with the punches to get to. Um, 1984 produced four singles, including Jump, Van Halen's only number one single on the Billboard Hot 100. The top 20 hits, Panama and I'll Wait, became the MTV. Oh, excuse me. What about Hopper Teacher Teacher video? Come on. That's like my favorite video of all time. Okay, that's why this album is on there for me, because of the connection to to the video. So kind of back to what we were talking about with Blues Brothers. In my mind, there's a multimedia appreciation here. And I hot rods and hot teachers and... So many quotable lines. I'm sure teachers were sick and tired of hearing people come in and say, oh, I feel tardy. I got, I got my got pencil. pencil. I gave something right on. I, mean, just, <laughs> I can't imagine what it was like being a teacher back then. You must have been so pissed off. But it gave me so much happiness and so much gratification to not only know that stuff, but to have my buddies. And it was it just felt like a measure of, of being cool when you knew Van Halen, when you were now again. I think there's a little bullshit in Hot for Teacher. That that drum intro is tracked. He didn't. It's it's it's. I didn't know it's that. Overtracked. Yeah. So when you're gonna play it live, you don't get that. Well, he's pretty and good with that double kick pedal. No, I mean he's great. Don't get me wrong. But for the album, they they tracked it. They they double tracked it. So it's it's a little overproduced. So when you sit there, like I said, try to air drum things, you're just like, wait, wait a second. <laughs> he has three feet. What the hell's going on? You know things <laughs> yeah. like that. So. But yeah, talk about a song, man. And still, uh, when when they did the Taylor Hawkins thing and and uh, Wolf got up and played it, that's yeah. a hell of a song, man. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It really is. You saw that, right? You saw that whole yeah. thing. It's pretty cool. I thought. Um, so reviews for 1984 were generally favorable. Robert Christiga rated the album a B plus. He explained that side one is pure up, and not only that, it sticks to the ears, and that Van Halen pop. Uh, Van Halen's pop move avoids fluff because they're heavy and schlock because they're sh- built for speed. <laughs> All Music said, of course, the mere addition of a synth was not enough to rope a fair we- rope uh, in Fairweather fans. They needed pop hooks and pop songs, which 1984 had most gloriously on the exuberant Timeless Jump. I always think of the Panama video, too. Just yeah, I know that Jump was live performance, but there was no audience. Right. Uh, Actually, I, I didn't know that. I don't know if if people at that point knew what a great live band this was. Yeah, and when you put that out, that video out there, <clears throat> it just and again, I'm sure it had been done a million times before, but for me, that was one of the first concert videos that I really gravitated to. And then it's funny, like I said, I hadn't seen them live before then because my mom wouldn't let me. And then as soon as Fifty One Fifty came out, and I was what 16 years old, right? She let me go. It was 5'10", 250 pounds. I told her, I go, I'm, I'm fine, Mom. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, album albumism said, and I love this this review. Van Halen was always about the dueling energies of Eddie and Roth. Roth would do anything and everything to draw the audience's attention, and whatever he lacked in vocal talent, he made up for with charisma. Between his long blonde hair, his bizarrely compelling bat banter, and his acrobatic stage move, he was the archetype of a rock front man. Look at everybody who showed up. <laughs> yeah, just yeah, you're in that crowd and in throwing out passes to backstage. You know that they're famous for the code, right? They had the system of identifying girls, so they would, you'd see them periodically walk off stage and talk to a stagehand. So they had a system of, okay, that's going to be this section, this row, this seat. And then the reason they did these long solos is they would go underneath the stage where they had their, you know, and Eddie be up there playing for 15 minutes. Well, the rest of the band be getting laid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and again, it's, that's goddamn rock and roll, man. Of course they were. Yeah. Uh, well, I love this album, you know. Um Albumism, albumism goes on to say that 1984 perfectly lays out the band's future, even if you're not a fan of where the future of, uh, took the band. It's fascinating to see how the album's nine tracks accurately, accurately predict a direction that took years to fully unfurl. Yeah, that's really academic, but it's so true. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, this, is, this really is just an amazing album. Um, and well, I, and I the, do the cover, the album cover. Yeah. People forget about this, so... The album came out, and the cover was the big issue with the baby angel smoking the cigarette. cigarette. Yeah, so they there is another album cover. Like they made them change it, or it did, is this one that they packaged? I'm like, not sure. That's because they I did know. the same thing with Slippery When Wet. Why do I know this? I don't know that. I just lost every bit of credibility. But the <laughs> first version of Slippery When Wet by Bon Jovi had a woman in a wet T-shirt. Okay, and you could see everything, and it got shut down quickly. But from what I understand, I don't collect albums. I like digital music. I mean, it just works for me. It's faster. It's easier. Um, but if you can find one of those original Slippery When Wet albums, apparently they're worth a ton of money. So, Wow. And I'm sure the same said about Van Halen. But like I said, I can't remember if they either repackaged it or they just put a sleeve on it. Because then, then they were doing that for a while. With album covers that had you know, aggressive concepts, you might say, they would just be wrapped up. Yep. And you couldn't see it till you got home. But... Blind Faith had that issue too. Yeah, so that's long, long before. So yeah, but that, that was just in America. It wasn't like really in England. Yeah, but uh, yeah, no. There's you, you should if if you got the time, you should read Van Halen Rising. Oh yeah, uh, I'd love to read that. It's it's a good one, and it goes through how they were a, a backyard party band and how they did it and, and how they got where they were. It talks about Dave and the struggles that they had, but that, then it stops right after Van Halen one. Well and. Because you know what happened after then. That's Skyrocket. I saw something on YouTube one time. I just sat there and watched it on my phone forever. I don't know. It wasn't the best production quality, but it did have some cool footage. I'm always amazed. I mean, I did a bunch of work with Hot Rod History recently. These guys filmed everything. And they, they were taking pictures of themselves. They were filming. Me and my friends, I just, I, you know, there's nothing. We found the other day, strangely enough, we had our little our little band in eighth grade, and it was me and my buddy who had a little Yamaha DX100, and we played yeah. these little you know pop punk type things, little 90-second songs. And but we were one summer we were at a swim meet. I was a swimmer. I know it's hard to imagine looking at me, but we convinced the swim team to let us play at the meet. So we walked them into the Peter what, Gunn theme. What kind of band was it? 
so it was, I, like I said, it, this is root beer. This is what I was telling you about, right? <laughs> root beer. And, and the only reason that we called it root beer is because when we made the album, we wanted burp sounds in between. So we had big jugs of root beer that we were chugging and then trying to burp into the to the mic. So we would have these sound effects in between. So it just became an ongoing joke that couldn't come up with anything better. So root beer, we'd play it in high school. We got up into you know, junior, senior year of high school. We'd be at parties just playing, and it was just root beer, just us, just as a gag. But well, that's, I like the name too because it says beer in it, you know. Yeah, it, it, and here you have yeah, it. This is drink, what I'm drinking today. He's drinking um, root beer right now. But we played at this swim meet, and somebody filmed it. Oh wow! Yeah, I hadn't seen it uh, ever, like, and and it got sent to me through a mutual friend, and she was really baked one night. She's like, "There's a little interview section where the two of us are interviewed by the guy filming the swim meet." Man, I had the Ray-Ban wings uh, sunglasses that are coming back now that had that, you know, but they're real high up on your face. Yeah. Button down shirts with sleeves turned up. Yeah. It's, it was, it was cool stuff. That's funny. Um, yeah, I, I was a swimmer when I was a child as well. But see, I get that. You look like you could swim. Me, yeah. people are always like, what? Swim? <laughs> yeah. Puberty said football was a better way to go. So I did that, but I'm still you... faster in water than I am on land. Guaranteed. Wow. Well, uh, the, I mean, we don't need to go into swimming right now, but there's a whole there's a, a whole technique that goes into it, and so it allowed me to become a surfer because I'm yeah. not afraid of the water and that yeah. kind of thing. Hundred percent. You know. All right, let's talk about Roger Klein, the Peacemakers. Um, thank you for picking this one, because I I've never even heard of these guys. I and I'll tell you a story real quick. Um, before we start this, um, I was talking to a friend of mine that I went to business school with, and I mentioned that I was going to see Lucero. Do you like Lucero? Never heard of him. Need to turn you on um, their new album and how much I liked it. And so I sent it to him and he came back to me and he goes, we, what, you want to guess what he said? Sounds a lot like the peacemakers. It sounds like the refreshments, uh, refreshments, which, yeah. which is, yeah. it, and I love that song banditos. I've known that one. I just didn't even ne- uh, never knew who sang, sang another it. video that if you go back and watch, it's just so good. They're so happy. Yeah. Um, but it was released in 2001. This was the, this was the, the peacemakers, uh, second release. And they did this live rec- record, excuse me, uh, instead because they felt that their live performance was going to be a lot stronger. Uh, and they recorded the shows at, in Denver and Tempe in like 99 and 2000, I think it was. Yep. Um, so uh, you touched on it earlier, but how, how did this record, I mean, it's because you can envision yourself playing drums to this? Is this is this So why? this, yeah, this goes back to the, uh, after Root Beer. <laughs> Um, I randomly ended up getting myself into an actual working band. I was working as a bartender at this bar, and these guys, back then, at least in El Paso, bands would play Thursday, Friday, Saturday gigs at different bars. And, you know, the newspaper would have a list of what band was playing where, and people followed local bands because they were fun. My wife still doesn't believe me that this happened. And I'm like, no, that's the way it was, you know? And so... We, they were playing at the bar that I was working at. Um, all the waitresses that worked there were so coked up, they couldn't clean their section <laughs> at the end of the night. So they would pay me each 50 bucks to clean the whole restaurant, basically. So I, it took me an extra two hours, but, you know, an extra 200 bucks on top of what I made is pretty good, putting yeah. cash in my pocket. So one night, I thought everybody was gone. I thought I was the only one in the restaurant. So I would sit down on the drum sets and just screw around instead of clean. And I'm sitting out there playing, and this guy comes out from the back office. He goes, who's that? What the? It was all wound up. I'm sorry, man. I, I didn't know you guys were still here. I was just playing. He said, was that you? You played? And I said, yeah. He goes, you want to sit in with us? So the, the short of the story is the lead singer 
uh, was also the drummer, was also at that point in his life pretty much an alcoholic. Okay. He could do two of the three things. He could play drums and drink. He could sing and drink. <laughs> but he could not do all three. And so I came the next night and sat in with him. He played a few songs. Take It Easy was one of the ones that I, I knew well enough to sit in. And it's pretty easy on the drums, yeah, you know. Um, so I just slowly started sitting in with him. And then the bass player drove a, a car full of weed up to Ohio and got pinched. Now, back then, that's a federal crime. Yep. So he got sent up for driving weed to, to Ohio. So the guy who had played drums, who was a singer, now went to bass. And they brought me on full time. And that's how I ended up in a band. So I did that for a little over two years. But for me now, since that time, a lot of the music I like to listen to is music that I can visualize playing. Mm -hmm. It just makes me a little happier. And so some of these things that are a little like much as I love the Chili Peppers, I can can never figure out what that dude's doing. He's a great drummer. You know, that's just not my style. Or Flea. Um, Yeah. I mean, if you're a bass player, good luck. I mean, I'm sure if you're good enough, everybody can. But. So the Peacemakers, to me, I really love that first Refreshments album. And it came in a time in my life when I was single. I just got out of college. I drove from Austin to San Diego. I must listen to that disc over and over and over again, like 20 times. So the second album came out for the Refreshments, and they got sideways with the record company and didn't like how they were being presented, didn't like the Mm -hmm. song that they chose to release. And Roger Klein... To, to me, as far as I know, is one of the first to really embrace being an independent. And he foresaw the whole online thing happening. He sells all kinds of stuff, but he put together a new band. He pulled some people from the Gin Blossoms, which are also mm-hmm. an Arizona band. He did. And so he puts his band together, and they're just a good band. They just play. And again, I could see, I mean, P.F. Nafa, who's their drummer, is amazing. He's been, you know, him and, and Roger have been together since yeah. they were kids. So they have that chemistry. But when you see them live, it's a fun show. Yeah. They, they're still getting after it. They still get it connected to their, to their base. They have a, a thing they call circus Mexis down at Puerto Peñasco where it's, it's like a big festival. And there are people out there that are rabid, rabid, rabid fans. I just like the music a lot. Like well, I love a good, um, songwriter, drummer duo. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, you could say black keys, you could say big stars, another good example of that. Um, but well, I mean, rush, come on. Yeah. He's writing the lyrics. Yeah, he How is. How the hell did that happen? Well, he's doing both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Right. Um, so, yeah, no, this is, I mean, it's it, it was a great record, and I'm, I'm glad you turned me on to it, because now I, now I actually know more about it. That's one of the joys of doing this podcast, is yeah. that I get turned on to new records, and now my favorite songs are, like, there's so many of them in my Spotify. But I did read, uh, there weren't a lot of reviews for this yeah. record. You know, this is kind of a, you know, a, an, an underground, if you will, uh, record, but all music said about the record. Uh, anyone who appreciated the earthy, down-home southwestern ambience that that defined Roger Klein, the Peacemakers' first album, will find real to real is quite faithful to the spirit of its predecessor. The main difference between Honky Tonk Union and Real to Real is the fact that the band it has a harder, tougher edge on stage than it does in the studio. Roger Klein, the Peacemakers, bring a lot of enthusiasm to these performances, and Real to Real is not only a consistently appealing document of their live show, is arguably their best release of the band's initial lineup. Yeah, 100%. I mean, that's exactly why I liked it. <clears throat> I gravitate towards live albums anyways. Yeah. Um, just because I the playing to a click, I mean, that's where why Tom Petty isn't on this list, because the last time I saw him live, they played the whole show to a click. Now, yeah. nobody, I'm very few people are going to notice that, except for me. 
and I still liked it. But let's be honest. Come on, man. <laughs> give me a little adrenaline. Amps and... Yeah, give me, give me. I want my live music to be live. I mean, that's the whole Frampton thing, right? Like, mm-hmm. you listen to the album. The one that kills me, the one that I think is the best example of this, is um, Cheap Trick. I want you to want me. Yeah. The studio version sucks. It's hard to listen to. And then you get to live at Budokan, and that that just has all of what I love about live music. I mean, they're 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 going, and it's the same with this. Like you know, these guys, and they don't disappoint. I saw them at Antones. I don't know about a year ago. Yeah, still good. Starting G- to show their age a little bit, you know. As Cheap we trick? all do. No, no, no. Oh. Uh, Peacemakers. Okay. Yeah. Cheap trick. I saw when they came with um, Bad Company and ZZ Top. It was like a hundred and five outside. It was out at the track. I saw them at Emo's one time, Cheap Trick. I and, that was cool. And uh, Rick Nielsen was just like, literally, he must have had a thousand picks in his pocket. And he was just throwing them out. I was like diving for him and I could never get one. <laughs> Who was playing drums? I don't even know. Was Bunny playing drums? I don't know. If it was a cool looking guy, not Bunny is the, you know, the old, he kind of has that jazz vibe and overweight with a cigarette dangling. And he'd be playing a shuffle in the middle of a whole rock show. <laughs> what the hell is this guy doing, man? Right on. But yeah, Peacemakers to me, it, it, it's it defines when I tell people I like listening to music that I think I would like to play or have played. And even though I've never played any of these songs live, when you just listen to how they play and how little polish is put on it in terms of production, uh-huh. they're polished musicians, no doubt, but it doesn't have like some of these live albums. They go back and they clean it up and they make sure that you yeah. know everything is right. This is literally just struck me as, they had, you know, a recorder connected to the to the board, and that's what they took. Yeah, maybe I'm wrong, next. maybe I'm naive, but I dig that. Yeah, well, I mean, it was recorded. I mean, technology wasn't there. I mean, I remember back it. Uh, I guess it was like '92, '93 when I was I was in college and I was getting all into the Grateful Dead and Panic, and the big deal was, oh, I I got a first generation dat tape of this, yeah. blah blah blah. Or you know, I, excuse right. me, I never got a first generation. I always had a second generation. That was the best I could do. Because you Still know, the, pretty good. It, yeah, but it, it degraded so much. I had my friends that were doing that stuff, um, but yeah, it's you know, youth, youth <laughs> and ignorance. That'd be a great band name. Age and ignorance is what I'm afraid of these days. <laughs> I like to talk about wisdom a lot. People hear me say that's my favorite part of getting older. Is I'm definitely wiser. Whether I use that wisdom, that's a big question. But Wisdom is something you can't have when you're in your 20s. And I have a bunch of kids working for me now. And I call them kids. They're not. They're in their 20s. But they have no wisdom. Oh, man. My brother-in-law, I consider to be the wisest man in the world. Because every time you know, I ask him a question, he's got some wise answer. And I'm always like, oh, dude, how'd you figure that out? I just age. <laughs> but but just he's comes, also 12 years yeah. older than me. Um, okay, let's move over to Bob Marley. Bob Marley. Uh, I legend. Know. Another I, I, compilation I, album. I know. Uh, but I get it, man. I get it. This is, you know, everybody picks the records for different reasons. And that's just, that's the way it's going to be. And I'm not going to take well, away from anybody. You remember when I texted you and I said, am I stranded on a desert island or am I allowed uh-huh. to listen to other music? And, and you, the first question you asked me is, where am I taking these albums? Yeah. I'm in Hanalei. And if I'm on a beach, it just changed my whole trajectory with music when, when I first got wise to it. And... The first person to introduce me to Bob Marley. So I was here at school at UT, pre-med, dating a sorority girl in a fraternity, just kind of sleepwalking, just doing what I thought I was supposed to do. 
we got to the Texas OU game. I was dating this girl who was hot. Just great, man. But, you know, we weren't there. We, it was just a kind of a convenient thing. And we go up to Dallas for Texas OU. I take every bit of money that I've been given by my parents because I'm spoiled. And blow it all on a cool hotel room because I want to get laid. <laughs> and I think that this is the time to do it. And she dropped the whole we're better off as friends thing on me. And I fought. We argued the whole way back. I was like, you are selfish, selfish bitch. You know, how dare you? And this and that. And at that point, I had this Acura Integra with this big sub box in the back. And I think I put on straight out of Compton and just <laughs> so that the whole way back, we were just listening to bass. She's like, will you change it? No. So, so, so you're, you're just a real nice guy, it sounds like. At this point, no. <laughs> now I'm very nice. Well, she had it. Come on, man. Don't do that. I'm teasing you, brother. So, so I was listening to a lot of Jimmy Buffett then, because college mm-hmm. guys listen to Jimmy Buffett. And I remember I got home. I got into an argument with the fraternity I was in. I wasn't doing well in school. I just got so pissed off at the whole universe. That I took the money I had. I should have spent it in Dallas, but I used a credit card. So the cash that I had taken out, I went down to expose. boy. I don't know how much money I gave the, the DJ. <laughs> Forget the girls, man. The DJ to play these songs. And it's one of the three times in my life I can genuinely tell you I blacked out a little bit. I don't really remember what happened. I just remember spending all that money there. I got home. I woke up the next morning still drunk. Said... Fuck this. Went down to the registrar and withdrew from all my classes. I think my parents may have got their money back. I don't know how far along it was into the semester. But then I wandered the state going to visit friends and just lost. Just what am I doing now? So I ended up, I was going to take a job as a bouncer down in Cancun. Mm -hmm. Uh, A buddy of mine had a club called La Boom. And he also had a business um, renting jet skis. Now... You can imagine what the business running Jeskies was. He was clearly covering up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were they needed bouncers who could speak Spanish, but were also American that were intelligent. I mean, I you know, I was a good fit for that job. But instead of going to work for him, a friend of my brother's had been a club med family. They'd gone a bunch, and she knew the guy that was the chief de la village. That's what they called it. The guy running the show. So is, that, got, is that Spanish? It's it French. French. Del, maybe it doesn't matter. Anyways, but so she knew him and she gave me a name and a number and I called and it took forever because they didn't have cell phones back then. Yeah. They just had like a room with a phone. Mm-hmm. So finally I get on the phone with this guy and I told him who I was and how I got his name and that I needed a break from life and I wanted to come down and work. He said, great. When can you be here? And I said, well, I got to go to defensive driving on Saturday. I could be there on Monday. It's exactly what I did. Wow. I went to defensive driving, got it off my record because I'd gotten a ticket coming home. Went down to Cancun. I was down there for about three months. One season, basically, is what it amounted to. And the DJ down there, the guy that was in the club, was a huge, huge, huge Bob Marley fanatic. Like He knew everything there was to know about Bob Marley. This would have been 93. So, you know, he's long dead. It's not, you know, a modern thing, whatever, but... And I just hung out with this dude all the time and listened to these different songs. And then we all agreed that Could You Be Loved is a sellout song that is amazing. Yeah. You know, you don't want to love a song that you knew the artist hated. Right. But it's good. It's fun. Yeah, no doubt. And So I, he got me into Bob Marley. 
Okay, so I just love the way that you did that story, by the way. You, 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 you brought it, you told the story, you started with Texas OU game. I, I, I dig it, man. That's, that's great. You're awesome on this podcast. Thank you very much. Um, so this record, that, that's, that's a really awesome story. Um, it's greatest hits collection of singles, originally vinyl format, uh, best-selling reggae of all time, with over 12 million copies sold in the U.S. and 3.3 million in the U.K., it has uh, also holds, I, I love this, it also holds the distinction of being the second longest charting album of the history of Billboard magazine. Behind? Uh, Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon by yeah. one week. One week. When, huh? By one, it's, and they're not consecutive weeks, but it's just the number of weeks yeah. that they're on there. Uh, they were on there for 2,165, 2,166 was Dark Side of the Moon. Wow. And I'm not a big Pink Floyd fan, so I'm just like, well, Bob should be there. I like the Sid Barrett story. That's kind of fun. I don't know this. He, you know, is one of the founding members, had issues, not only substance, but apparently emotional issues. Um, I'm being politically correct here. He's schizophrenic, right? Okay. So he leaves the band after they initially chart, and then um, the other dude, um, Peter Tosh. Waters, um, oh. anyways. Comes in, the band becomes successful. They're in the studio recording mid seventies. This floated around on social media for a while. Some dude wanders into the studio, overweight, bald, brushing his teeth, and they Sad. have no idea who it, it's him. Yeah, <laughs> he got there, and so just like, you know, he's the the soul of that band. He was the one that gave it that initial build. Yeah, and then they took it and ran with it. But Roger Waters and come on, man, I'm blanking the other dude. They, now they tour separately. Roger Waters and yeah, it's it'll meh. come to you, it'll come to me, and I'll be pissed. But yeah, anyways, so yeah, that's that's interesting. Well, this album, this this uh, compilation, had a generally positive reception, but it was criticized for being deliberately non-political, uh, like the, most of the stuff and radical the stuff that 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 yeah. um. Bob was about, you know? Let's just say what it was. It was targeted to white guys like me. Let I mean, me tell you something yeah. that the Phoenix New Times said. Uh, <laughs> he said, Dave Robinson, who constructed the track list for Legend, said that the track, the track list for Legend deliberately was designed to appeal to white audiences. Island Records viewed Marley as a political revolutionary, and Robinson saw this perspective as damaging to Marley's bottom line. So he constructed a greatest hits album that shows just one face of the Marley prism. The side he deemed most sellable to the suburbs. If you're looking for a mass market appeal to secular progressive America, you don't include the songs that invoke collective guilt over slave trade, nor do you address the convenient truth that the Jamaican style of reggae, sandy beaches, marijuana embraced by millions of college freshmen exists only because of the brutal slave trade. The album's most important reggae singer of all time is a hodgepodge collection of love songs, feel-good sentiment, and mere hints of the fiery activist whose politics drew bullets in the 70s so you know what the conspiracy theory is right go for C it cia had him killed he was so influential and so uh frightening to the to the establishment and what they saw coming that the conspiracy theory is, is that they gave him cancer because he died in his 30s i mean he wasn't that old made a lot of kids got busy but yeah, he did. That's the conspiracy theory. <clears throat> excuse me, behind Bob Marley is that the CIA took him out. Okay, um, but yeah, I mean, it's I debated this one a lot, and like I said, this one came in just because I knew that if if I had to spend the rest of my life looking at water, if I couldn't hear, <laughs> you know, waiting in vain or or or, or, or um, uh, stir it up, 
and loves tear it up just just to and then you know what's cool is is all the covers that have been done of his songs and how good they are including his son ziggy is one of my favorite yeah ziggy to me took he's again it's going down the same line i'm not embarrassed to say it i am a suburban white kid that likes a little bit more melody i'm I'm not opposed to a, a good conversation about angst and government i mean you know there's right now there's no punk rock on my list which is strangely yeah it's uncomfortable. I mean, Rancid, huge fan. Again, we go back to Ramones, yeah. New York Dolls. I mean, I love Descendants. How do I not have Descendants on my list I, and freak me out? So in a weird way, <laughs> this is punk rock in its own way, but it worked for... It did exactly what they said. Same as like um, Straight out of Compton. Yeah. You know, here I am listening to a song called Fuck the Police. Yeah. And, you know, my dad is Dr. Piddle and I have a 4.0. I'm mm-hmm. not exactly worried about being pulled out, and and I I don't say this in a in a in a uh, proud way. It just is what it is, and was what it was. And man, that stuff was good, you know. And same thing with with Legend, like, and it kind of goes back to the Eagles, where there was a enough variables in there, enough variation. Excuse me. Everything from like we talked about. I mean, could you be loved? Is a freaking disco song. Yeah. But if you had ever been at the club in Club Med. I mean, that was magic to women. You dance. Like, I can't dance, but you can just kind of bounce around, and it just gives you a happy vibe. And, you know, hearing the review, it, I knew what was going on there, and I knew he hated it, but, hey, yeah. I liked it. we got to wrap up, but I, I want to talk say one more review here. Uh, All Music said, does that remarkably well, offering all of his genre-defying uh, greats and illustration of his excellence, warmth, and humanity in a way it's perfect since it gives a doubter or casual fan anything they could want. Let's face it, the beauty and simplicity of Marley's music was as important as his message, and that captured the, that is captured particularly well here. He's one of the few people I think the Beatles might have looked at and said, God damn, that's good. How does he do that? Yeah. All right, Mo, listen, we got to wrap up here, but um, where can all the people that are listening, and thank you for listening this long. Um, where can they find you on the good old interweb? Uh, well, you know, Jew Boy Burgers is my it's my main occupation right now. Um, so I would say that if you wanted to, to know more about me, or that's a good place to start. I'm usually there. I mean, that's how we met. Yeah. Um, I like hanging out there. I like being around cheeseburgers and nice people. It kind of <laughs> suits my point in life. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think uh, – Honestly, the best way to find out about me, if you really want to know, is just call me. Got it. Well, thanks for being on this podcast. Oh, I, I had a blast doing this with you. My pleasure, it's, man. And you've, you've picked records that have never been on there, and so that's cool. You know, we've I've got a lot of, like, Clash, London Callings. Um, I looked at it. I thought about it. Like, it's there. That's my favorite cover of all time. I Fought the Law by the Clash. Yeah. So. All right, man. Well, thanks a lot. I appreciate got it. Got it, brother. Thank right. you. Peace. Wow. Mo, that guy is a good dude. I really enjoyed that. Um, You can find him on the good old interweb at uh, jewboyburgers.com. If you're digging on what we're laying down here, I have a favor to ask of you. Uh, You can always give us a review wherever you want to uh, listen to your podcast, but it would be incredible if you can just tell one person, just one person, about the Top 5 Records podcast, my Top 5 Records podcast. And I find that word of mouth is the best way to gain exposure. And again, it takes me a lot of time to research, listen, record, edit, whatever, all this podcast stuff. Um, You can spare a dollar 
head over to my Patreon page at patreon.com slash mytop5records, and every dollar helps. Uh, lastly, if you've got the gumption, head over to thebiggunshow.com. Check out what my band is up to these days. You can also catch us on Facebook, Instagram, and on YouTube with the handle of The Big Gun Show Band. Our most consistent gig is our monthly residency at the Little Longhorn Saloon here in Austin, Texas, home of Chicken Shit Bingo. We play the happy hour of the first Friday of every month. Bring Grandma. She'll have a blast. Close your eyes. You're in Kamaleo. What five records do you have? Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>